Welcome to Cornerstone Reform Church, Makati. I am uh, Pastor Abbott. I am the church planter and pastor of this relatively new church. Uh, and if you are familiar with uh, with this church, or if you have attended for quite a while, you know that we are we have been going through um, our origins series. We are walking through the first book of the Bible, and that is the book of Genesis. And hopefully, to some of you, you are not just discovering who you are, who we are, what are you know our our origins, the basis of our faith, but more importantly. I hope that our study reveals to us the nature of our God, the God that we worship. And, and that's the, you know, the reason why we are uh, going through this. And today we are going to look at a very, uh, another familiar story to, to most of us. It's a tragic story. It's a tragedy. And evidently, this is, um, you know, we see the result of Adam and Eve's uh, fall. And this is the story, as you know, uh, of two brothers, two story, the story of two brothers, and even though they come from the same womb, they are very different. They're, the path that they take are strikingly different. And like I said, you know, this is a, a very familiar story. We've seen this, you know, maybe some of the words here were used in, in movies or in a song or in a poem. Uh, and there's a danger to oversimplify this, this text. There's also another danger to overanalyze this text. But still, there's so many things to unpack what's going on in, in this passage. So let's get right down to it. What does this story uh, of Cain and Abel teach us? And here's the, the main idea that I want to uh, give to you. Our offering to the Lord reveals our hearts. And God's act in light of our offering reveals his heart towards us. But ultimately, we see the heart of God through Christ in his sacrifice for us. So that's basically the, the, whole, the whole sermon right there. If you, if you only remember that, uh, that uh, statement, you have understood the sermon. All right, let me repeat that. The offer, our offering to the Lord, as we see in Cain and Abel, it reveals our hearts. Not just our offering, but our hearts. And God's act in light of our offering, as we also see how God responded to Cain and Abel's uh, offering, reveals his heart towards us. But ultimately, we see the heart of God through Christ in his sacrifice for us. But to give us, you know, some uh, easy handles to go uh, as we look at, into the text, let me give some keywords for your children, maybe for your nephews and nieces, and maybe for you as well. So for you to remember, these are the keywords. Bad offering, better offering, and best offering, right? Bad offering, and it comes from a rebellious heart. We see that in Cain. Better offering comes from a repentant heart. We see that in Abel. But the best offering comes from our Redeemer. All right? Let's go through directly into the text. Let me read again verses 1 to 4. The man, meaning Adam, was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have made a male child, a baby boy, with the Lord's help. 
She also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of the flocks, but Cain worked the ground. So those are their two professions. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. Now, before we go into uh, the, uh, as we look into the offering of Cain and Abel, allow me to provide some some context uh, that our passage implies, and hopefully it will help us understand the story better. We must understand this: the whole setting happens outside the Garden of Eden. Remember, last week we talked about how Adam and Eve was uh, removed from the Garden. They were not allowed anymore to enter, and they are barred from eating from the tree of life. So this is happening outside the Garden of Eden. And also we must uh, see that there's a significant amount of time already covered in this story. There's a significant amount of time. Although maiksi lang yung text, there's a lot of time happening here. Keep in mind, for someone to conceive and give birth, that's already immediately nine months. Okay. We do not know whether Cain and Abel are twins. If they're twins, that's just nine months altogether. If they're not twins, that's nine months for Cain. Maybe a few, maybe 12 months before you, a, a baby can, a, a woman can conceive again. There's another nine months. And we see that they're already fully grown adults, right? So from their vocation, it tells us that these, these are already men. They're no longer children, right? And to offer something to the Lord needs also some time. So if for Cain, being a farmer, you know, he needs a time to wait for the harvest. And for Abel to offer the firstborn, he has to wait for his pet sheep, maybe, <laughs> To, to give birth to another sheep. And that takes a lot of time. So easily, I would imagine, I would um, estimate, this is easy 30 years, right? So imagine 30 years of, of life. And in the span of 30 years, they have known a lot from their parents already. Keep that in mind. Maybe this is, you know, this is happening like new to us, but all of these things are not new to them. For one, they seem to know about God. They know about God. They, they seem to know the need to bring offerings to God. And it does not say where they do that, but they do. They're offering something to the Lord. So yes, while the story is unfolding to us as readers, the details are not new to these characters. They are not ignorant to the things of the world. They know how to farm. They know how to take care of the flock. They are not blindly uh, offering things to an unknown God. All right? Whether they know that from the instruction of their parents or the instruction of God themselves, they know that they need to offer something to God. They know that there is a God. What do I 
want to imply with this. They know exactly what they are doing. Right? Keep that in mind. This is very important. Dahil hindi chamba that Abel, you know, offered something to the Lord and the Lord was pleased with the offering. At hindi rin malas that Cain, you know, offered something that was rejected by God. It was not just coincidence. They were not blindly throwing something to God and hopefully it will, it will be accepted. They know exactly what they are doing, either by the instruction directly from God or from the example of their parents. And that's important because these, are, these offerings are from a heart that knows what they are doing. They are culpable with their action, all right? Let's look at the offering starting with Cain. And we will spend a big chunk of the, of the sermon here. Let me read again verse 3. In the course of time, a lot of time has passed, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. By the way, biblically speaking, to offer the fruit of the land, crops, fruits, grain, it's not necessarily bad, okay? It's not necessarily bad. In fact, there's a, there's a provision in the book of Leviticus to offer such offerings, okay? There is a provision from the Lord to offer grain offering, first fruits offering. So to say that shepherds, Abel, are better than farmers, Cain, is not exactly correct, okay? And that animal sacrifices are the only offerings that God receives. There's a merit why that was accepted, and I will explain uh, that later on. But it's not necessarily accurate to say, you know, God will only accept a certain, you know, type of sacrifice, I'll explain that later. But what we see here, the language seems to emphasize not the type of the offering, but the quality of the offering of Cain. The, the verse implies that there is nothing special about Cain's offering in contrast to Abel. He offers to the Lord what's there. And for Filipinos, we are very very familiar with this. Meron tayong phrase, pwede na yan. Pwede na yan. I'll offer what is there. And you know why this is such a bad offering? You know why this is a bad offering? Because Cain was worshiping the Lord according to his own terms. Cain was worshiping the Lord according to his own terms. Essentially, that means he has a low view of God. He says, you know, this is what I have. You know, God, that's fine with you. I will worship you according to my terms. And what does God do with this bad offering? He rejects it. He rejects Cain. You know, the, the, the text does not say how God expressed his rejection. 
uh, of, of uh, Cain's offering. Maybe he saw, you know, Abel's offering was consumed by fire and yung sa kanya was just, you know, rotting away. We don't know. It does not say. But it tells us that Cain was so affected by that rejection. He was so despondent. He was so downcast. And you know what? Cain's reaction to God's rejection of his offering tells us that he relates to God transactionally. It's merely a transaction. It's a transaction among equals. I give you something, and this is what I have. You give me something back. And if you don't give me something back, I will be angry. I will be downcast. I will be despondent because you did not give me what I deserve. Lord, I serve you in church. I will uh, worship lead. I will play the instruments. I will, you know, prepare chairs. And you give me a girlfriend. If you don't give me a girlfriend, you, you're not giving me what I deserve because I gave you something, right? I served in church. But God being a sovereign God is not our equal. He is a transcendent God. Keep in mind, God has all the right to accept or reject anyone's offering. And He does not need to explain Himself to us. He does not need to explain whether He rejected his, the offering or not. He does not need to explain. So again, it does not explain to us the text why God rejected Cain's offering, but we can see why. His rejection tells us, uh, his response to God's rejection tells us why. We can sense it. There's something brewing in his heart. You know what? That's something that's brewing in his heart. Bad offering is coming from a rebellious heart. It's coming from a rebellious heart. So because this is a blatant dishonor to God to offer something that is unworthy of his presence, because this is a serious disregard to the holiness of God, Cain deserves judgment. Right? He deserves judgment. In fact, God could strike him down where he stands and it will be just right for God to do so. Right? If, Cain, if God strikes Cain down, you will say that's just right. And yet God does not strike him down. Instead, what we see is God in initiating a conversation with Cain. He starts the conversation. Look at this conversation, verse 6. Why are you furious? And why do you look despondent? Again, as we have seen in you know, Genesis 3, when God asks a question, he's not really asking for, you know, he's not asking for answer that he does not know, right? He knows everything. But 
the same way God knows where Adam was hiding, God knows what Cain was hiding in his heart. And to engage him with this question, why are you furious? Why are you despondent? It's an opportunity for him to come clean, to repent. The way God asked the same question to Adam, where are you, Adam? I know where you are, but I just want you to come out and come clean. What a gracious God, don't you think? And so here's what I believe, and we don't see this very often. To reject Cain's offering is God's way of exposing the sin that is in the heart of Cain. Because if God accepted that, and we'll just say, you know, God is a loving God, tanggapin na lang naman sana niya because he's a tolerant God. But to do that is to, to harm Cain even more. What God is doing is to bring out into the surface what is inside his heart. And so for God to prod him with questions is not cruelty. It's an act of grace. It is an opportunity to see sin for what it is and repent from it. You know, often we are blinded by our own sinfulness, right? And even if we see our sinfulness, we don't see and realize its seriousness. Our tendency is to justify it, to minimize it, to point to bigger offenders, right? Or to get offended when someone calls us out instead of repenting from it. So for God to say, why are you furious? Why are you despondent? God was not cruel. He was giving an opportunity for Cain to repent. And sadly, Cain went from bad to worse. He plots the murder of his brother. This is premeditated. This is planned from a heart that's rebellious to God. And when God again confronts him, where's your brother? What does he say? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? He lies. And he goes, you know, in a downward spiral of, from his rebellious heart. And when God brings him a, a curse from what he has done to, to his brother, you know, he complained. He complained not of his sin, he complained of the punishment. And that's, you know, the words of Matthew Henry in his commentary. He was not complaining of his sin. He was not saying, you know, my, my sin is so weighty, so heavy. He said, you know, my punishment is so big. Yes, he was remorseful, but he was not repentant. What a sad tragedy, not just for him killing his brother, but for him to go downward spiral from his heart being hardened and hardened and hardened. Friends, I hope we see the seriousness of unrepented sin. How it hardens our hearts towards rebellion. 
But God is gracious. He searches us, calls us to repent. So this is my, you know, my advice for, for all of us. Please don't be offended when a Christian brother or sister is trying to correct us. When they see some inconsistencies in, in our Christian life, we should be grateful that they are concerned enough for our spiritual well-being. We should be concerned if our Christian brothers and sisters are no longer concerned of us. Of course, correction and discipline must be out of love and out of gentleness because to correct someone out of a sense of superiority is not a biblical correction at all. But we cannot shy away from it. We cannot shy away from it. Because one of the marks of a true church is a loving exercise of church discipline. We need to do that. And we want that to happen in our community, to spur one another towards a life of repentance. Which leads us to our second point. We come from a bad offering to a better offering. And Abel, we see this in Abel, we see, you know, Abel does not have much of a screen time. He does not even have a line in the story. But his actions and even his death speaks volume. Let me read again verse 4. Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord, this is how God responded. The Lord had regard not just for his offering, but for Abel. Why did God accept this offering? I can think of two things. Number one, in this offering, we can see that Abel understands who God is. That God being a creator and Lord, he deserves the best of what we can offer. In contrast to Cain, he has a high view of God. To offer the best and the first before a holy, righteous, and sovereign God is to worship him in God's terms. He understands who this God is that he worships. But not only that, he understands who he is. And who is Abel? Is he a good man? Is he an obedient man? Is he a holy man? You know what, what he understands with his life? With who he is? He is a sinner. He is a sinner. Where do we see that? In his offering. This is an animal offering. And again, like I said, both Cain and Abel knows exactly what they were doing. Abel was not inventing a new way of offering to the Lord. He did not think about this. He knows what he is offering to the Lord. And it's very likely that this is not the first time 
an animal was sacrificed. At the very least, at the very least, Abel knows the first animal that was killed by God's hands in the Garden of Eden. Eve and Adam may have talked to their children about how God killed an animal to cover their nakedness. So to offer an animal to the Lord is a recognition that just like his parents, he is a sinner and needs someone else's death to cover for his nakedness and shame. So for Abel to offer the best and the fat portions, the firstborn, and to offer an animal sacrifice is a recognition of his sin. The better offering comes from a repentant heart. And here's how the, the author of Hebrews explains this offering in Hebrews 11. And I will quote uh, the book of Hebrews uh, a few more times. Hebrews 11.4 By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice. So this is not just me telling, you know, Abel's sacrifice is better. It's really the scripture. Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. Faith in what? Faith in the righteous, holy God who deserves nothing but the best. Faith in his loving God who forgives those who come to him in weakness and repentance. A better offering comes from a repentant heart and that's what Abel did. But what does this mean for you and me today? We saw Cain's offering and how God rejected it and God's rejection is an act of grace. And Abel's offering proved how he knows and, and understands who his God is and how he he understands who, who he is as a sinner. What does this mean for you and me today? Well, I could warn you to not be like Cain, right? I can end the sermon and say, don't be like Cain. But you already know that. I don't think anyone is plotting murder here, right? We know that we ought to be mindful of how we approach our Almighty God. No one would even argue that murder is wrong. In contrast, I could encourage you to be like Abel. Church, be like Abel. Which most of the preachings you might hear from this text will tell you. And if you follow his example to bring the best to the Lord, to bring the first fruits of the Lord to the Lord, you will please God and you will become a morally outstanding citizen. So church, be like Abel. I could do that. But that, at best, is partly true. 
Because if I challenge you today to be like Abel, to bring the best and the first to the Lord, how can you guarantee that you will be able to do that consistently? How can, I, how can you guarantee that you will be able to bring the first and the best next week? How can you guarantee that you will bring the first and the best when you just, you just had a fight with your spouse? When you are frustrated with your children, when you have a conflict with your co-workers, when you, so, when you feel bad about yourself and you feel so worthless, how can you say you can offer the best and the first to the Lord? When you feel like you dishonored your parents, when you betrayed a friend, do you think you can bring your best and first during that time? So to challenge you to be like Abel, in bringing the best and the first is going to be a roller coaster experience. At times you will feel good, at times you will feel bad. And so if your approach to Christianity is this way, no, just do your best. Bring your first fruits to the Lord. I am challenging you, if, I, if that is our approach to Christianity, I'm challenging you and leading you to a frustrating Christian life. Because when you reach it, you feel proud of yourself and you look down on others. And when you don't reach it, you feel guilty and despondent just like Cain. You know, if the burden is on you to please God with your sacrifice, it's going to be an exhausting life. It's going to be an exhausting life. But there's good news in the gospel. Because the burden does not have to be on your shoulders. The burden to please God, to offer the best and the first, is not on you. There's someone else who can do that infinitely better than us. Brothers and sisters, Christ is the perfect offspring that gave the perfect offering. And so the best offering comes from our Redeemer. And here's again what the author of Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 10, 11. Every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away the sins. But this man, Jesus, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Friends, his offering once at the cross is sufficient and accepted by God, the Father, for you and me. His offering is what pleases God. And it is through Christ that we are regarded just like Abel, that we are accepted just like Abel by God. Again, let me quote Hebrews the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 13, 15. Therefore, through him, 
through Christ. Let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips that confess his name. Friends, offering the best and our first to God is not the means to our salvation. Abel was not righteous because he offered the best and the first. He offered the, the best and the first because he was righteous by God's grace. And offering our best and first through Christ, again, is not means of our salvation, but is an evidence of our salvation. Christ is the perfect offspring that gave the perfect offering. And let me end with a quote from R.C. Sproul. He said, The blood of Abel cries out for vengeance. The blood of Christ cries out forgiveness for you and me. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you with our imperfect offering that's marred by sin, smarred by brokenness, that's marred by our depravity. And we know, Lord God, that our best and our first is only perfected by our perfect Savior. And so in Him and through Him, we come before you. And in Him and through Him, we receive your mercy. Lord, teach us to approach you and honor you in your own terms. Teach us, Lord God, to see the seriousness of our sin. Teach us to see that as we are confronted by our sin through the church and through your word, that it is your act of grace for us to repent. Lord, I pray that we will grow in accountability in our community, that we will know what it means to lovingly correct one another. Lord, help us grow in our understanding of who you are and an understanding of who we are that we are sinners saved by grace. And Lord, finally, we ask that you will continue to teach us to look to Christ because in him our sacrifice is made perfect and through him we are accepted in your sight. In his name we pray. Amen.